Welcome to The Moon in Your Mind with your hosts, Chelsea Winter and Alyssa Ray. We are on a mission to build a community of empowered individuals to stay curious in their work, their relationships, and daily lives. By interviewing experts and uniting astrology and psychology, we will hold the space to connect you to new wisdom, unique stories, and insightful resources for you to cultivate your best human experience. Let's get curious. You guys, we are so excited to share with you our newest offering, the Cosmic Consulting Program. We are combining my wisdom of astrology and Alyssa's background in somatic psychology to support you in finding more authentic alignment and embodiment in your life. As your cosmic consultants, we will provide you with a juicy and actionable natal chart reading, a consultation session with both Alyssa and myself, as well as a nourishing somatic coaching session with Alyssa. And... If you wanted to go even deeper, we are also offering two add-ons that you can choose from, a personalized journal or a personalized meditation crafted by Alyssa and myself based on your chart, consultation, and coaching session to continue diving deep into this work. Or you can just choose both. If you're ready to get started, shoot me an email at chelsea at themooninyourmind.com and we'll schedule a consult. We can't wait to support you on your journey. Hello to our beautiful community. We are so excited to be joined with Haley Devlin today. Haley is a somatic coach, recovery coach, and founder of the Embodied Recovery Community. She blends her lived experience with experience as a coach, organizer, movement facilitator, trauma educator, spiritual practitioner, and community builder to create intentional spaces to explore what it means to recover as individuals and as a collective. She's committed to helping people and communities generate the conditions to tap into our innate capacity to grow and thrive. Ah, what a beautiful intro. We're so happy that you're here. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah. So we start every episode with a mini reading of your sun, moon, and rising. So your sun and rising are both in Gemini, and then your moon is in Leo. So I'll just kind of like go through some traits, tell me what resonates, what doesn't resonate. But with Gemini, there's a lot about communication and like Mm. dispersing information, wanting to connect with people, definitely like intellectually stimulating Mm. conversations Mm -hmm. or exchanges, always looking for new ideas, always open to learning, always, always on a journey. Yes. I feel like for Gemini's like never feeling fulfilled, always looking for something more, hate being bored too, (laughs) (laughs) with Gemini, yeah. And You know, it's really, it's all about just like taking in information and then dispersing Mm -hmm. information. And so even the symbol for Gemini is, you know, two horizontal lines, two vertical lines, and it represents like the information coming from the heavens down to the Mm -hmm. earth. I've never heard that about the symbol. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very beautiful. And it's so, you know, it's just always, like I said, always looking to learn, always looking to teach Mm. as well Mm. and connect with people over those shared interests. Mm. Mm. Does that all sound as far as Gemini goes? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you say all that because for some reason, especially in the last few years, I've had this real story that I'm like, I'm like double Gemini, but I don't feel like a Gemini. Because I think the qualities I've often heard about Gemini are like being really airy and kind of like like finicky and like, and I don't experience myself that way, but those qualities totally resonate. Yeah. Yeah. And every sign there's always like the high road and the low road. And so not to say that the airy and finicky parts indecisive are the low road, but this is definitely the way I like to think of it or is really like the soul version Mm, mm, of the signs. mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the Leo, you know, there's the creativity, a lot of inner child, you know, liking to have fun, looking to feel life, you know, Mm. and project life. Mm. And so that can sometimes come through a lot about Leo. People are like, well, they're dramatic and they always want to be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. But that isn't always the case. A lot of, you know, like the soulful Leo can be around encouraging other people, Mm. really getting to know like your inner strength and how to stand in front of a crowd Mm. and really like portray yourself in a way that you like feel really strongly about. And I feel like with the Gemini too, like, and you know what I know about you and what I've already known from just talking to you for the last like 10 minutes is I feel like you're very comfortable, like taking the knowledge that you have and telling other people about Mm. it and spreading that wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that reflection. That feels really right. Yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. (laughs) Good, Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about your 
let's take it back and thinking about your childhood, your upbringing, your background, you know, how did those traits come into play and, you know, how have you grown into them as you've gotten older? Mm, Yeah. As you asked that about my childhood, which I don't often think about my childhood in this context, so it's kind of cool to see what's emerging, but I remember that I wanted to be a teacher and, um, and I have two younger brothers and I would like, especially in the summer when we didn't have school, I remember I would like set up my brother with a desk. And at the time we had like, I forget what it's called, something like learning center where teachers can go and get supplies. to And I would beg my mom to go and take me so that I could find like little workbooks so that I could teach my brother how to write his letters and what, you know, and I just really uh, enjoyed that. I was also kind of like militant and mean, if I'm honest. (laughs) Um, I have a very distinct memory of like standing over his desk and he's like, you have four or something. I'm like trying to get him to write an A and I probably had him do it like 20 times. And he was like, and I remember him being like, I don't want to do this anymore. And me being like, you have to do it again. (laughs) I love that. That's hilarious. I know. Um, But (laughs) I'm not that way as a teacher now. So that's great. (laughs) But funnily enough, I kind of I think lost the thread of that as as I well just the desire to teach as I got older and then when I entered into recovery and when I think about what it means to re-enter into recovery in so many ways it feels like coming back to my true essence and my, kind of my soul's path it feels in a way like teaching chose me or facilitating chose me you know I found that through my own journey and I'm totally that way where I learn something and I get so excited about it. I'm like, oh my God, I want to tell everybody about it. And I want to share my experience about it. And I get so passionate about things. And so I could feel that emerging when I started to come back to life and recovery again. And then little by little, it started with like, okay, I, I'm going to go do this yoga teacher training. And, and then I didn't want to teach actually because I was scared, but I these opportunities kind of fell into my lap. And so then I started to, and then I slowly started to remember really like, oh, I actually like this. This feels really good. And and then now it's like, I feel like so much of what I do is just teach and facilitate and hold space. And I'm the same where, and if people who are in spaces with me will often kind of laugh in a very loving way, but because I just get so excited and I'll be like, blah, 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 and, and I have to like, yeah. part of my embodiment practice is being like, okay, slow down. <laughs> That's um, the Gemini coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just going and going and going and going. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. And then the Leo part's so interesting because my mom is a Leo son. So I've had a certain like, and I've dabbled in astrology. And so I've had a certain kind of like idea of what Leo means. And then when I learned that my moon was Leo, I thought that was so interesting And there's a part of me that really actually still has to work hard at being seen, like to be in front of people. That's not, it doesn't feel like a natural, Mm -hmm. like I'm not one of the people, those people that's like, oh my God, I love being in front of people. You know what I mean? But I, but at the same time, there's like a soul call towards it where it's, and it's not like just to, for the sake of being in front of people, but it's like for the soul desire to have an impact in the world and the understanding that to have an impact requires that I allow myself to be seen, you know? And so that feels like in alignment with the Leo quality of like kind of learning how to live into that. And that Mm -hmm. feels like a huge part of my work right now and especially the last few years. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's, again, it's that beautiful marriage of the Gemini and Leo, right? Like you have so much to say, you have so much to teach. Mm -hmm. And so to get in front of people, you have to really lean into your Leo. I know like I'm a Leo rising and it is very difficult for me to yeah. like, I'm kind of on the same journey. Like starting this podcast was terrifying, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like <laughs> putting my face on Instagram yes. doesn't still does not happen. Like, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I'm the same. It does not come naturally to me at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you practice that? I feel like a lot of people struggle with this, with being seen. So what does that look like for you? Mm, yeah. Gosh, I love this question. The reason that I love it is because we all have gifts to share. And I see so often people hiding from that because it's so scary to be seen. And then their gifts aren't coming out into the world in the way that they need to. And so I I mean, need is maybe a subjective word, but and so this conversation really excites me because it's like if we like to be able to share what's working for me in service to somebody else feels really in alignment. And the thing that really comes to mind for me is is somatic work, like in my own embodiment and my ability to 
one, be able to recognize what's happening inside of me when it's happening and be honest with myself about that, to learn how to stay with feeling, to learn how to stay with my breath. Like even right now as we're having this conversation, like of course there's a little part of me that feels kind of nervous, but I'm here and I'm simultaneously regulating my nervous system. You know, I'm like breathing more slowly and I'm noticing the little tingling that's happening in my shoulders and where my body's starting to tense and then letting myself relax. And so learning how to be in relationship with my soma is a really big part of how I learn how to show up in spaces that feel scary. Because what I what used to happen before I really had a connection to my body is I would just get so anxious or so dysregulated and not really understand what was happening. And then that would just cause more and more and more contraction. And then I would freeze, you know? And then in, of course in the freeze, like nothing can can be done. And so building that relationship with my body over time, I mean, I mean really over the last eight years of my recovery is is a primary way that I practice that. And then part of that for me also, and part of somatic work to me is understanding the larger kind of way that my soma is impacted by something greater than me. And I have a relationship with something that I call spirit, source, divine intelligence, a higher power, my ancestors, my guides, like having a relationship with that. We talk a lot about self-regulation and nervous system work and co-regulation, but I heard, and I can't remember where I hear it from. I, I always think that I need to go back and figure out where I heard it to be able to give them credit. But this idea of source regulation, where when I'm in alignment and able to trust that I'm being guided by something that's greater than me, that like whatever unfolds here is of divine order and actually not even really up to me. Like I'm just a channel for whatever is emerging through me in service to who's listening, for example. Like that source regulation provides me so much relief and like a lot of grounding where like the part, you know, the perfectionist part of me, the part of me that feels like I need to control or get scared or whatever can kind of relax and be like, okay, I'm held right now and all is well. So I feel like those are the kind of two main parts of my my practice. And and like I always feel like it has to be said that I do that very imperfectly. <laughs> I'm like very much a human having a human experience and some days I'm so great at it and some days I'm horrible at it. And then I have to just love on the moments that I'm horrible at it, you know. And if I can't love on those moments myself, I try to reach out to people who I trust can support me in that. That was beautiful. I never had heard that before source regulation. I've never heard that. That's incredible. I know. Yeah. The first time I heard it, it just like landed in such a deep way where I was like, because I realized like, oh, I've been doing that, but I've never had language for it. Mm -hmm. And then having language for it just felt, it just added a layer of potency to it. So yeah. That's awesome. I love it. And I, I want to kind of walk backwards a little bit and as much as you're comfortable with and feel called to kind of sharing your recovery journey and kind of what that looked like for you. I know parts yeah. of it, but I would love for other people to be inspired by it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love to share my recovery journey because there's just still so much stigma around addiction and to recover out loud feels like a sacred responsibility that is also a very personal choice. Like I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but I feel okay with doing it. So I do. And yeah, I, uh, there's so much I'm sure that could be said. I'll try to be somewhat brief, but essentially I started drinking and using drugs when I was 15. And I remember very distinctly the first time that I drank, it was as if for probably the first time in my life, the volume in my head was turned down and it felt quiet inside. And I had this experience of relief that I didn't even know that I needed because my baseline of operating as a human for my entire life prior to that was, was anxiousness and stress. I, I didn't, I wasn't conscious of that at the time and I probably wouldn't have been able to name it as such, but I was a really anxious kid and I was really uncomfortable in my own skin and you know, as because we're we're all in the healing field and understand attachment. Like I understand now that that came from attachment wounding and and all sorts of sort of developmental trauma that I didn't you know understand at the time, but understand now. And so when I drank for the first time, it felt like the sense of noise and pressure and discomfort that I felt inside went away. And I remember after that first time drinking, I just could not wait to do it again. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, when's the next time I get to drink? 
And it was pretty soon that I was, you know, sophomore, junior in high school. And I was like drinking by myself at home on a Tuesday night and blacking out, stealing my parents' liquor, and then waking up and going to school the next day. And then it really just progressed from there. I started to do all, any and all drugs I could get my hands on. And I was pretty high functioning for a period of time. Like I went to a good college and I managed to graduate all the while I was like, you know, abusing Adderall and abusing benzos and taking opiates and drinking till I blacked out most nights and so many things that I look back on and I'm like, I have no idea how I survived that and managed to graduate, but somehow I did. I then was living in New York City and I studied art history in college. So I was working in the art world and, um, I discovered heroin. And up until that point, I had been in a place where I could convince myself that I wasn't an addict because one substance would get really out of control. And then I'd put that down and be like, oh, like the cocaine's becoming a problem. So I'm going to stop doing cocaine. And then I would just drink a lot and smoke a lot of weed instead or something like that. And so I convinced, and then I would switch, you know, that thing would get out of control. So I would switch to pills or whatever. And so I convinced myself I wasn't an addict because I'd bop around between substances quitting one thing, but really I was never sober. I mean, I probably wasn't sober for a stretch of, you know, eight to nine years more than, I mean, I don't know that I had a day sober to be honest in that stretch of time. And so I got to a place where I discovered heroin and that became the thing I couldn't put down. And I was a heroin addict for mm, four years. And in that time, you know, I went from having a really great corporate fancy job in the art world, living in New York City in an apartment. Like I like I loved sex in the city growing up. And so I like really wanted to be Carrie, you know. <laughs> um, well, really I actually wanted to be a combination of all of them, including yeah. Charlotte, because she was in the art world. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really like being a New Yorker was such an important part of my identity because I didn't actually really have that much of an identity or sense of self beyond that. And so I did that whole thing and went from this seemingly really beautiful, cool, exciting life on the outside to literally being houseless and living on the streets and living in a van with these two other kids. And we would panhandle on the streets for money. And by this time, I'd moved back to California and I'd been in and out of rehab three times. I'd been to methadone clinics. I mean, all kinds of stuff trying to get sober. And I just wasn't ready or wasn't able. And so, you know, long story short, that was my bottom. Well, really what was my bottom is that I was kind of in the midst of that lifestyle of just kind of, you know, street life and doing all kinds of incomprehensibly demoralizing things. And I had a friend at the time who I'd grown up with and we'd both become heroin addicts and we grew up in the same town. And so we kind of developed this bond and and he went away to get sober and then he came back to the bay and relapsed with me twice and overdosed twice in one week and the you know ambulance came cops came and somehow those experiences managed to crack something open in me because i think i'd never seen somebody that i cared about so much like literally on the brink of death because like usually like i'd overdosed before but like i was on the other side of it so and i remember when i overdosed once like i overdosed and i came back and the person who was with me was like, oh my God, Haley. And I remember being angry that I'd been like, it almost was like, felt like I'd been <clears throat> pulled to the brink of death. And I like wanted that. And then I came back and I was like angry that I was alive, which is such an interesting and sad thing to think about in retrospect. But anyway, all to say, it was usually me on the other side of it. So then this person that I loved dearly, witnessing this happen twice in one week, it just broke something in me where I, where I, I it really landed in my system fully. Like if I don't do something I'm, I'm going to die this way. Like that's just real. And, uh, and so I managed through the grace of something much greater than me and really 12 step fellowships to get sober for the last time. And I got sober in February of 2015 and I've been sober ever since. And I love being sober and it's such a wild thing to say that I, I say it often and it's crazy every time because I remember a time when like the idea of being sober felt like the worst punishment that you could ask of somebody you know it's like oh my god how could you ask me to be sober for the rest of my life like that sounds terrible <laughs> and um and now what I really have understood and and trust through my experience of recovery is like being sober actually gives me a shot at the life that I have always wanted. And it allows me to be the person that I 
want to be. Like I get to look at myself in the mirror today and generally love who I am. Like I used to be so full of shame and self-loathing and and things that made it hard to just like be a person on this earth, you know. And now I have such a different experience of being human. And and of course I still experience shame and I exp- you know, I it's, none of those things have like gone away entirely or anything like that, but I in general get to live a life that's in alignment with my values and in alignment with my purpose and none of that would be possible for me if I weren't sober. And so yeah, that's a little bit of my story. <laughs> it's so beautiful and I just I want to thank you for sharing it in its entirety to like the greatest sense, because I think in the beginning you were saying like, it's still so stigmatized, right? Like people aren't able to even accept hearing stories, nonetheless supporting stories. And so I think you say it in such a beautiful way and you share that in such a beautiful way. And I, I'm sure you've heard this a million times and you don't need to hear it, but I am so proud of you. And I'm so happy Mm. that you've been able to go through this journey and come out the other end, just such an incredible person, right? Like I didn't know you before, obviously, but like you are so inspiring in every way. And I just appreciate that a lot. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's like, and just to be like super transparent, this is such a part of my embodiment practice that sometimes it still feels hard to receive compliments. So as you're sharing, I'm like, like, okay, relax your body, like receive, like slow. (laughs) Cause there's a part of me that's like, ah, And, and, and like, it's so beautiful and we all need to hear these things. And so mm-hmm. truly I do appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, sometimes, you know, people may not share it because you've been out the other end for some time. Right. So I think it's so yeah. important to be like, you should still be proud of yourself and like, you should mm-hmm. still remain connected to like that resiliency mm-hmm. because it's incredible. And I think that brings me to another thought I was having when you were sharing your story, but a lot of, as you know, what recovery is, is connection right and it's Mm -hmm. like that connection that you had to your friend who overdosed twice like that seemed to be like the force to connect back to yourself right and to take that chance totally yeah absolutely yeah I think in so many ways in my addiction I'd become really numb to connect to the capacity even to connect and it got to a place where I think it required more and more to kind of like jolt me out of the haze that I was in. And that was, and so I actually really appreciate, I've never thought of it that way, but you're totally right. And that's how it felt in the moment. Like I remember it so distinctly where it's like something shook me alive and it was, it was like a connection of like, oh my God, I, I, I love this person and I'm watching them possibly fade away in front of my eyes. And like, what am I doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and it took that for sure, to kind of bring me back to a place of enough aliveness to be like, oh, I, I want to choose life, you know, because mm-hmm. I'd been kind of passively, you know, I, I literally played Russian roulette with my life every single day that I used heroin. It's like every time I used, use like a p- potential to die. And I was kind of passively choosing death. And yeah, that gave me a chance to choose connection, to choose aliveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think too, like, that is what somatic work is and that is what like yes. embodiment is, right? And so yes. I, I kind of want to hear more too about how that began to kind of incorporate itself because I know like 12 step was a big mm-hmm. fellowship mm-hmm. for you. And how did you merge the two in your own journey? Because I think somatic recovery is still something that's so new, right? And yes. at, at least my yes. understanding of it. And you know, even with some of the clients that I work with and when I offer them those resources or they just think there's a traditional like AA and so it works mm-hmm. for so many people, right? Mm-hmm. But for some people it doesn't. And so offering totally. different resources has just been like so interesting to see that it's still so new, but that's a whole other yes. tangent. But for you kind of, yeah. how did that all come about? And I know you've been involved with like so many different programs and it's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for naming that. And it, it's funny because I, I've actually been holding this question recently a lot of like, what is the difference between somatics and recovery? Because to be honest, for me, like it's, it's very little, like in so many ways, it feels like it's all the same. And I do think that people, yeah, often think of recovery as like a 12 step program. And and that's beautiful. I still participate in 12 step programs. It's a part of my recovery practice probably always will be. And what I came to understand pretty quickly well, within the first year of my recovery, for sure, is that a huge part of why I used was because I didn't know how to be in my body. I didn't know how to 
feel feelings. Like I remember being newly sober and people would say to me, like, how are you feeling right? Like, they, like, because clearly I was probably upset, you know, and they'd be like, what's going on? And I literally didn't, I didn't have language for what was, what was happening in my inner life. I didn't know how to describe it. And I would say all the time, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. And you'd be like, are you okay? What's happening? I don't know. I just really didn't know. And so I realized that if I was going to be able to stay sober, I was going to have to learn how to be in relationship with my body. And my body includes my emotions, my felt sense, the way that I think about things, the belief systems that I hold, the way that I move through the world, the actions that I take or that I don't take, like all of that is part of my embodiment. And I didn't have a framework. I didn't have language. I had very little capacity in the beginning to stick with that. And so for me, it actually really started with yoga. And and that was kind of my entry into connecting with my body was going into a class and being reminded to breathe and, you know, feeling the sensation of stretch along the backside of my legs when I was in downward facing dog. And at first it was just as simple as that. And I think it really needed to be where it was kind of this slow trickle for me because being in my body felt really hard a lot of the time. And I remember I would get, I mean, I look back on some of the things I would get dysregulated about and it was like, and I have so much compassion for that part of my experience too. But, And then I remember very distinctly that I was in a yoga class. I was probably maybe four or five months sober. And we went into a wheel pose and my heart was exposed. And I just burst into tears. And I remember that I was like, I got to come out of this. And But there was something in me. And maybe it was the teacher's direction too. I can't remember. Probably the teacher's direction, but that was like, stay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get out of this. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Stay in this. Um, and I just stayed and I just sobbed. And I and I remember being like, I don't even understand fully what's happening right now, but it like almost didn't matter because it was such a release. And I remember leaving that class and being like, there's something to this <laughs> being in our body thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're really onto something at this yeah, 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 they're yeah. <laughs> right? Totally. Oh my god. So funny. I know it's so funny now how it's like our Western world needs like everything to be scientifically proven. And yet like <laughs> yogis have been like just had this knowing for yeah. fucking eons. Oops, sorry, I just swore in my life. No, oh swear my god, okay. swear okay. as much as you want. Yeah. Okay, All good. The swearing. Absolutely. <laughs> I love oh it. Oh my god, so funny. Yeah, but totally. Yeah. So that was kind of my first. And then I was really lucky to also have mentors and therapists at the time who or body oriented, at least to some degree, you know? And so just really kind of slowly, I began to build this understanding of like, I need to, and also a kind of, sorry, there's a bit of a different trajectory, but in alignment with what we're talking about, part of 12 step programs is to make amends to people that you've harmed. And I remember when I was doing my amends list, my sponsor at the time was like, I told, you know, read everybody that I'd harmed who I was going to have to make amends to. And then she's like, you're forgetting somebody on this list. And I, and I remember being like, so perplexed, like I am like really kind of searching my brain. And she was like, yeah, yourself. And I was like, oh, you know? And so part of my amends to myself living, we call in 12 step recovery, we call this like a living amends where it's like, you know, you may not be able to, I mean, you can never go back and undo what you did, but you can make a commitment to act differently moving forward. And that's a living amends. And so for me, part of my living amends to myself is to learn how to be kind and loving towards my body and treat my body like a temple because I treated it horribly for so many years, you know? And so I just kept following these crumbs. And I remember that I really struggled at the time with, because I grew up in a pretty classic kind of capitalist Western world, right? Where it's like, okay, this is what it looks like to be successful. So you go to college and then you pick a career and then you climb the ladder and then you do this and you do that. And I had done that, you know, I'd already done that with the art world and, and, and it didn't make me happy. And so I, I had enough of a, what feels like a kind of divine capacity to trust that I took a totally different approach to building a career in these last eight years where I was like, I'm actually not gonna be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And I, I'm going to actually just follow the thread of what brings me alive and trust that. And I have no idea how that's going to unfold, but like, I'm just going to trust that it will. And so I've literally over the last eight years, just like followed these little breadcrumbs. And so 
when it came to somatic work, it's like, that's what I did. It's like, it started with yoga and then it started with meditation and then, you know, therapy and different somatically oriented therapeutic techniques. And then I found who's one of my main teachers now. Her name is Mallory Boy. She has an organization called Home Body Healing. And I started to learn about, you know, trauma. And then of course found, you know, Peter Levine and, you know, Dan Siegel, just all the greats. And so it, it's really just unfolded from there. And, you know, Deb Dana and Thomas Hubel. And like I had, there's so many teachers that I could acknowledge and name that have deeply influenced my orientation towards somatic work, generative somatics and Strozzi Heckler Institute and their somatic coaching program. Like that's all part of it too. And so anyway, all to say that I've just followed these crumbs and I have found that somatic work has served me in my recovery in ways that I couldn't have possibly imagined because what I also understand now, like I haven't craved a drink or a drug in many years. Like that's just, that's not a thing for me anymore. Like the worst thing could happen tomorrow. And I trust that I would be able to stay sober through it. Like I don't crave substances anymore, but what I understand that I'm ultimately in recovery from now. And what I think is also the case for people who are recovering from substance use is that we're really recovering from trauma is trauma recovery. And we can't recover from trauma without somatics. Like we can't think our way out of trauma. You know, trauma has to be metabolized through the body. And so to me, they're, they're so closely like recovery and somatics feels one in the same in so many ways. And I think that there are some distinctions for people and need to be like, especially when people are newly sober, it's like, we want to really address the issue of the substances and the alcohol use and the whatever initially and have, you know, structure and plan and support specifically around that issue. But then I think the longer that somebody stays sober and it becomes less about the substance and more about like how, you know, the, the trauma piece of it, for me, that's where there's, there's a, a distinction, but yeah. So many good pieces within all of that, for sure. And Dr. Gabor Mate, I'm sure you've heard of him and his work mm -hmm. is a lot of that about how addiction comes from trauma and it comes from disconnection yeah. and how do we kind of reconnect with ourselves and reconnect with just all of it. And I think what resonated a lot with what you just shared too, is that we, especially as modern Americans, strive to know why, like, it's like, why, what's the answer, yes. what's the problem, what's the root cause of this? How do I like fix it with just like a medication or one thing? And like, how do I move on? Right. But it's totally. not that it's all a journey. It's all an uncovering. It's all just kind of showing up with what is right now in this yes. present moment. Yes. And when we can be accepting of that, we can enter into whatever type of recovery we need to, which if we think yes. about it, everyone needs to be in recovery from something, whether it's substances or other bad patterns, right? And so totally being able to recognize like within your story, that is so cool, I think, and so empowering, mm -hmm. just a reminder of like why we do what we do. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that. And it reminds me of a Carl Rogers quote where he says like that the great paradox is that only when we accept ourselves do we change. And what you just said, it feels like exactly that where it's like, yeah, we, we like, we want to know why. And usually I know, and I'll just speak from my own experience. It's like the wanting to know why is like often coming from this place of like, there's something fundamentally wrong with me that needs to be fixed, you know? And the energy of that is so suffocating. And it's like, that's not the conditions in which we thrive, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or heal mm -hmm. or can even approach healing. But it's like, but if we're in that space of like, just as you say, like meeting what is and like learning how to just be in relationship with what is without this like agenda-y quality, it's like, then that to me, that's the conditions in which healing can occur. And that that's the acceptance piece, right? And so I love, I love, love, love that you shared that. And yeah, I love Gabor Mate. He's great. And mm -hmm. I, I think too, another piece that you talked about, and Chelsea and I have talked about this a lot too, within kind of our own journeys and, and whatnot, but college and just the system mm. of college and, you know, <laughs> abusing Adderall and drinking heavily and experimenting with drugs and that being such a normal thing for young adults, even not going to college too, you know? And I think we think it's a way to connect within community and that that's yeah. normal. Right. And even I know, you know, I've had some friends who moved to New York city after college and everything. And it's, it kind of perpetuates itself there too, where it's like, okay, we have these amazing jobs and we're checking all the boxes and the way we can relax and connect is 
based on just getting fucked up. Right. And like, that's not the way to do it. And so I know a lot of the work that you're doing too, is all about being in community within recovery. And, and obviously that's a a pretty big standard, but I think the way that you do it is so unique and so different. So I would love to kind of hear Mm. how that has impacted you and how you provide that for other people too. Mm, Yeah. Thanks for that question. And I think that you're pointing out something that is so vital to be having conversations about because it's it's true we're we're so conditioned as a society in college and beyond to center you know quote unquote connection around alcohol or drugs um, or partying and I also think there is a growing sobriety movement, which is really cool, but all to say, you know, even just to give an example, I live here in Bend, Oregon, where we have a huge beer culture and I hear people, you know, that I'll work with all the time be like, this is a beer town. Like that's what they call it. And so I don't know how to be in this town without, or hang out with my friends without it being around beer or we, you know, whatever. And, and what I always just want to tell people is I'm like, I promise there's community out there that does not center their life around drinking and we have to find it and there's not enough of it. And that's how embodied recovery community was birthed ultimately, you know, (laughs) because that's been, I mean, I don't ever want to place hierarchy. I was going to say that's been the most important part of my recovery, which that, you know, that's not necessarily true, but it's a vital piece to the community piece. And it wasn't until I started to surround myself with other people that were living a life that I wanted to live, that it became possible for me to really trust that this was like, that this had staying power, you know? And people will say that, like that you're the five people you spend the most time around or the five, recently I've heard people tell you the five nervous systems you spend the most time around, which I love, but, um, (laughs) and think it's true. And so all to say, one of the ways that I have been committed to creating that is through embodied recovery community. And again, I love... 12 step and I've never intended for embodied recovery community to be a replacement for 12 step programs or you know whatever other therapeutic support somebody might have or you know there's so many ways to resource ourselves when we're on a recovery journey and what I hear often is that people will come in and they'll say you know I've been looking for a recovery community and I've not found one that resonates and and this one does and and what a beautiful thing and so the way that we approach it in embodied recovery community, it's all virtual. We I started it in the pandemic. And there's things I love about virtual spaces. And of course, there's a difference always between virtual and actually doing something face-to-face. But the virtual is so beautiful because it allows anybody from anywhere to join, which is so cool. Um, and we have three to four meetings every week. And they all have a bit of a different twist. So like Monday is, is recovery yoga. And so it's part a meeting and part movement. We have a meeting on Thursdays that we call embodied storytelling where people get to come and share their stories, but we also practice. And we have tenants throughout the community where we're always practicing embodiment in some form or another. So that's really kind of the center intention of what we do because it's the thing that I've noticed is missing the most in recovery spaces, you know, and it's the most needed as we've talked about. Or I feel like it's the most needed. <laughs> That's an opinion though, not a fact. So, <laughs> And then we have a Sunday one that we call rituals of recovery. And so every Sunday there's a different you know, ritual practice that we have. And to me, ritual and, and ceremony is inherently a part of an embodiment practice and part of somatic work as well. It's like, how do we make things sacred and feel that and be in relationship with you know, and build our source regulation and all that good stuff. So, and then we have ceremonies that center around full and new moons too. And so it's a really sweet space and everybody in it. Oh my gosh, I just adore so much. And we're in a really great place too, where it's big enough that, you know, we consistently have people in the meetings, but it's also small enough that people are actually building connection with one another. Like I've been part of online communities before where they're so big that it doesn't actually really feel like community because you never see the same box twice, you know? But with this, we have a a small enough group that people, you know, really get to know one another and hear each other again and again. And they hang out outside of meetings. And and so it's just really, it's really sweet. And there's also other components of it too, but that's the main kind of community piece. That is awesome. I 
also want to just back it up to something you even said before about how when you first entered recovery and you, somebody like asked you how you're feeling Mm. and you were like, I don't know how I'm feeling. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast. We've talked to a lot of people in our own lives. And that is really such a theme Mm. that I think, especially as kids, teenagers, young adults, yeah. No, nobody knows how to get in their body. Nobody knows how to put even language to what they're feeling. And I think that's, it's just something that like keeps coming up. And I'm like, this is such a theme. How, like, how can we address it? You know, I don't know. I don't know the answers, but yeah. it's just something you said. I was like, another one. Like, mm. of course we all feel this way. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I know for me, and something I've come to trust is that if it's an experience I'm having, then like undoubtedly somebody else listening is having it yeah. as well. So I, so I'm always happy to share to normalize. And I know that my experience is not everybody's experience. But, you know, for me, one, I had, I came from a lineage of people who didn't know how to identify their feelings. And so that's like, to, in so many ways, like we talk about, you know, generational trauma and things that are passed down. It's like, mm-hmm. I come from a long line of people who didn't. And so of course, that's then what I was taught and learned. And then also in so many ways, we live in a, you know, just capitalist patriarchal culture that thrives on on disconnecting us from our bodies. And so we learn to override what our bodies are telling us in the name of productivity. We go into situations where our feelings are invalidated or where, you know, we even go into our workplace and it's like we have this subtle or not so subtle sometimes messaging that like our emotions don't get to be a part of that culture or we don't get to bring our humanness to the work that we do. Or, you know, a child has an emotional experience at school and, you know, they're told that that's inappropriate or maybe even punished instead of a teacher understanding that that's actually something to be curious about, you know? And so there's just so many ways that we are conditioned as a society to dismiss, push away our feelings, our bodily experiences. And so of course we become adults and feel like we don't know (laughs) how, how to be in relationship. And that's one of the reasons that I feel so passionate about the work that I do because like, although we're taught and conditioned to disconnect from our bodies, like we actually can't disconnect from our bodies, right? (laughs) Like it's, we're getting the information all the time, whether we're conscious of it or not. And then it's actually just running us in the background, you know? And so that's what informs our life instead of what happens when we learn how to move towards healing. And for me, learning and practicing always somatic work, it's like I get to have agency because I now know how to be in relationship with, understand what's happening in my system, abide by the language of that, and therefore have choice. Before I didn't have choice because I didn't know. We don't have choice in what we don't understand, right? And so that's one of the many reasons that I love somatic work so much is that in building that capacity, that awareness, we gain agency, we gain choice. And so, yeah. And so just to kind of go back to what you said, like, and also just to be transparent, I always have this, when someone asks a question of like, how do we do that? You know, there's always a part of me that's like, oh, I want to give you all the answers. And yeah. <laughs> like, that is not, to me, it's like, I'm still living into those myself. And the questions are actually so much more interesting. And of course I have like thoughts and ideas and things that we could talk about, but, but I also think that that's such a personal journey. Mm-hmm. And so for me, some of the ways that I have approached that have been finding resources and people who have walked the path before me, whether that's, you know, therapists or mentors or, you know, I've been just blessed in recovery to also meet other people who are walking a healing path. And then, of course, you know, some of my main somatic teachers. And and so always to me, it's like that's the, often the missing link for people. And it was for me just speaking to my own experience, was this other story that we're told in our capitalist patriarchal world, which is like that we have to go it alone, essentially, you know, but we have to figure everything out for ourselves. And because we have so much information at our fingertips all the time, it's really easy to fall prey to that of like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna research enough. I'm gonna Google it. I'm gonna whatever. And like, yes, that's beautiful. Like don't, I'm I'm not, that's a big part of our, our, just who, who we get to be in the world today. And I love that. And the relational component is really what has helped me and continues to help me live into this work the most. 
because we can only take ourselves so far, you know, then that's just real. And so I always love to just really encourage that for folks is finding those resources and to be able to have access to those resources is a privilege. So I also love to try to create resources that are accessible and point people in the direction of accessibility too, because they are out there, but sometimes they're just a little harder to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point around community, you know, kind of bringing the two together, I feel like how can we have language to talk about how we're feeling if we've never seen anybody else feel it? If every exactly. around just like a blank slate or just working, working, working or happy on social media, you know, whatever it is, like, how can we ever say, oh, we're sad, we're feeling this way if we've never seen it before? Totally, totally. We like, we need that modeling. And I I know I did for sure too. And and still do. I mean, all the time I like have a, something that comes up. I'm like, I don't know how to walk through this. Who do I know who has walked through this so yeah. that I can ask <laughs> them what they've done? <laughs> and so, yeah, having that modeling is so key. And, and that's also like, and again, just sharing from my own experience, one of I feel like the gifts of of adulthood is like and conscious adulthood where it's like I get to choose now who I'm surrounded by. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I feel really blessed to be surrounded by so many people who are, you know, very intentionally walking through the world and doing that in a way that is in alignment with what they value. And also has a capacity to be vulnerable and honest and transparent and be like messy. And I'm like, okay, cool. You're messy sometimes too. I'm messy sometimes too. Great. Like we get to be messy sometimes together. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the human to human connection just, you know, can't say enough about how important that is for any, any healing path, any, any path of recovery for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where like, it reminds me of co-regulation and attachment. And it's like co-regulation doesn't always have to be like a caregiver or a partner yes. being so Zen. And so like, I will walk you through this as your Buddha or whatever we want to yeah. joke about it. Right. <laughs> it can be like, totally. Hey, yeah, this is really fucking hard. And I'm anxious yes. too. And how do we get through this together? You know, yes. that like modeling of messiness and learning how to navigate through it, I think can be I don't just relaxing to my own nervous system. I've noticed too when someone else is like, Yeah, I'm a fucking mess right now. And like, this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm like, Amen. Yeah, let's do this together. I like it. You know, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's also the thing about recovery communities that has been so transformative for me is that I came in with so much shame. And part of my shame story was that I'm the only one who's having this experience. And so there must just be something fundamentally wrong with me. And then to have other people who are like, oh no, I've walked through that or I've done that or I'm having that experience right now. It's like, oh, we like bring it out into the light. And then it's like, oh, whoa, okay. So maybe there isn't something fundamentally wrong with me. And that heals shame in so many ways. And, you know, coming back full circle to this question of how do I step into the spotlight sometimes to share, you know, the gifts that emerge through me. I, I'm always apprehensive to even call them like my gifts because it's like they're spirit gifts that happen through me. Anyway, all to say that, um, you know, coming back to that full circle, another big part of how I've been able to step into that is by having relationships with enough people who have been willing to share their honest experience to help heal some of the shame and build a real trust in me that if I'm having an experience, undoubtedly someone, even if it's only one someone, but most likely many someones are having the same experience. And if I can share and help to minimize some of that shame for even a single person, like that's worth it to me, you know? And I feel, yeah, so grateful for the people that are willing to do that. And I, and I do think as a culture, especially with social media and, you know, I have so many very complex, sometimes contentious thoughts about social media. And one of the things that I appreciate about it is I think that it is building more of a culture of transparency and people allowing themselves to just like be fully human and share that and let other people see that and, And there's also a lot of the other side too of people putting on airs and, you know, all the things, but I feel like that culture is, is building and I'm grateful for that because it's important and it's healing. Mm -hmm. 
And so I want everyone to know about all of your offerings and kind of what there is out there that you've created and how you're sharing your gifts in this time. Yeah, cool. I love (laughs) sharing about my my offerings. Um, Just because it's such soul work, you know? So a big one is Embodied Recovery Community, which we've already talked about a little bit. And we have enrollment. Enrollment opens usually every like four to six weeks. And I don't know when this episode's going to air, but if it we're opening enrollment in a couple weeks and then if it airs later, then I'm sure there will be another enrollment period coming soon. But so Embodied Recovery Community is one way to work with me. And then I also have a coaching practice. And so I do recovery coaching and somatic coaching. And you know, recovery coaching, kind of like we talked about, is usually always incorporates somatic work, absolutely. And it's usually also somebody who's maybe more newly sober and is needing some just very practical support around like, okay, how do we create a recovery support plan? And what are your strategies and your commitments that you're doing on a daily basis towards your recovery? And okay, you have this wedding coming up where people are going to be drinking. How do we create strategy around that? So there's some just very kind of like practical components to addressing specifically issues around, you know, alcohol and substance misuse for somebody who's more newly in recovery. And then we weave somatic work into that for sure. And then there's some people who don't need to address, you know, alcohol or substance misuse, but they need support with their nervous system. And so that's really what somatic work is about in many ways is, is learning how to find a sense of safety in our systems and build capacity for connection and do that recovery work. And so that's my coaching practice. And then I also have a retreat that's coming up that I'm super excited about in June. And I can give all this info to y'all, but it's called Aliveness and Alignment. And it's a five-day retreat on like the most incredible land, about 45 minutes from where I live. It's like you walk on there and you just can feel you're in like an energetic vortex. And it's so incredible. I, I love being there. But um. And so there's a retreat happening there in June and aliveness and alignment is really centered around how we come to embody our vision and our values. And so there will be a ceremony, there will be, you know, morning movement and meditation and all those good things that people come to retreats for, uh, delicious uh, organic meals prepared every day. And there will be some kind of workshoppy components where we are exploring what it means to embody our vision and our values. And I'm so excited about that because for many reasons, but most especially because somatic work in many ways, when we talk about somatic work, it can be really trauma-focused. And that's beautiful and important and needed. And that's why it's blowing up so much and, and trending in so many ways. And the question that I find myself holding a lot lately is, okay, so we're, we're healing and maybe we're even starting to feel well. And now what? And where somatic work is moving in my own life today is like, what am I moving towards consciously now that I'm not in this kind of acute need and space of like, okay, I have to just really attend to kind of like more crisis states and things like that. And aliveness and alignment is a lot about that. Like, what does it mean to actually be clear on the vision that I hold for my life or the way that I want to serve? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, huge. Sometimes I think we can have a kind of capitalistic approach to a vision where it needs to look like a lot about, you know, success in the eyes of whatever capitalist culture. And if that's a person's jam, then beautiful. But all to say, part of somatic work to me now is like, what does it mean to embody my values from an individuated place? Like what actually matters to me and how do I live into that? And what am I consciously moving towards? Not just what am I moving away from, which is sometimes how it feels like we can talk about like trauma recovery in our culture, but like not just what I'm moving away from, but what am I actually consciously moving towards? And so the the workshopy piece will be a lot about that. And I'm super excited about it. It's so fun to do that in community too, because everybody gets inspired by one another. And then we also get to like hold each other accountable in loving ways. And so, yeah super excited about that. So those are the big three things right now. That's amazing. I wish I could be there. I so wish. Next one though. (laughs) Yes. yes, So great. But yeah, we'll (laughs) definitely link everything below and kind of share all that information for everyone so that they can know about it. 
So at the end of all of our episodes, we always talk about curiosity because that's the foundation Mm -hmm. of our podcast. So we just want to know what are you currently curious about in life and what helps keep you curious in life? What are your practices Mm -hmm. around that? Mm, I love this question. Um, I'm going to take a moment just to sort of slow my system and see what organically emerges because I don't actually have an immediate answer. And so I'm just softening because sometimes when I don't have an immediate answer, and I love to share things like this just to normalize the experience, sometimes when I don't have an immediate answer, then I get anxious and then I kind of contract and then I just say, who knows even what I say. (laughs) (laughs) But if I can stay connected to my system and actually give myself space to slow, then something usually comes through that feels more coherent. (laughs) Hmm. So what I'm curious about right now, one of the things I'm really curious about right now is ancestry. And that's been a really big part of my recovery, especially recently, because for a long time, I knew essentially nothing about my paternal lineage and always had a sense of feeling pretty ungrounded because of that. And also because I look different. I have two half brothers from a different dad and my mom is white. And so people would often ask like, where do you come from? And so there was always a kind of a lot of energy around my identity, but not a lot of information. And that was really hard for me in retrospect. And so building a relationship with my ancestors and not just my paternal ancestors, but maternal ones as well. And then also what I understand as ancestry at large, which are that we can have, you know, chosen ancestors that aren't necessarily blood, but, but ones that we choose. And so like, for example, in Filipina culture, there's a there was a princess or duha who was basically just like a bad bitch sort of warrior princess, you know, in a creating a kind of matriarchal experience. And this was pre-colonial, you know? And so I think of her as one of my ancestors. And so it's been this really beautiful exploration that I'm continually in and learning more just very practically about my ancestors on like, you know, I've done ancestry.com and things like that and found certificates of death and birth and, you know, people that were in war. And so that is super interesting and keeping me very curious lately. And then also, honestly, like the thing that's emerging, which feels kind of funny to say, but it's just what feels most honest is like motherhood is a continuous curiosity for me in that I'm constantly like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And how do I move towards greater understanding? And how do I move towards greater support, both for my daughter and then also for myself and then also for our family system and my partner? And so that keeps me very (laughs) curious these days. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of the ways that I stay curious to answer that part of the question is really through a practice of humility. And I, again, will just speak for myself. I was very much raised with a sort of belief system around it not being okay to not know things. And so if I didn't have an answer for something like, and we're even taught that in school, right? Like the teacher asks a question and if nobody raises their hand, then they pick on you and you're supposed to have the answer. And it's like, it's so anxiety provoking. And so I had a lot of, of ego, and I say that in a very kind way, but just truly ego around like, oh, I'm, I need to know everything. And there's the Gemini in me that just loves to know all the things, you know? So, <laughs> But all of that being said, one of the ways that I practice staying curious is to practice humility, which is to, and there's multiple definitions that I've heard about humility, but two of them that I love are that humility is about remaining teachable. And also that humility is about being right-sized. So not thinking that I'm better than somebody or less than somebody. And the willingness to be humble, which is in many ways to remain teachable, is also a lot of somatic practice for me where like something happens and I feel that contraction or that pressure to know and instead I soften and I stay curious. And this happens to me too, like in the work that I do with people one-on-one, like that's, it's to me as a practitioner, like it's a dangerous space as a practitioner to sometimes to be like, I know, you know, because then there's this, like, we stop being curious about the person. We stop seeing them with fresh eyes. And this goes for, you know, could go for clients, but also just relationships, right? Like my partner, it's like, sometimes we come to the end of a long day and we're sharing what's happening and I can feel in myself that I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm moving. I'm just going through the motions of this. And so to slow down instead and soften and really presence myself 
and look at him with fresh eyes or look at the situation that I'm in with fresh eyes and be willing to ask questions is a huge part of my of my practice and definitely one of the ways that I stay curious. I love that. Mm-hmm. That was beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else that you are feeling called to share at this time? We're definitely going to have you on again very soon as we've talked about, which I'm so excited Yay! about, but anything else that you feel like is coming up? No, this feels complete for me. Awesome. This was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we had a great time. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for <laughs> me coming. Too. We had, yeah, you shared so many incredible things. And I know a lot of people are going to resonate with your work and your story and mm. all of your wisdom. So thank you so much. Mm, thank you. This episode was so fun. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to rate and subscribe. And we love connecting with you all over on Instagram at the moon in your mind. Send us a DM and let us know what you think. Sending love to you all. Mm